So yesterday, uh, at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I received a text from uh, a guy called Lynn who works here. His office is just back there. He's in charge of all the park and rec for the city. And he said, we've made the decision to cancel the event that we were going to have at the park yesterday because they were worried about the rain and the lightning and kids and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then, of course, as soon as they make the decision to cancel, the clouds kind of clear and it looks beautiful. And then it was just that, uh, you know, half hour of rain downpour that they could have probably survived. But it's kind of nice because it, you know, changed my schedule a little bit and gave me a little bit, uh, you know, of an, a nice evening in. But it also created another situation that I'm kind of uh, wrestling what to do with, but it reminds me of how we often live our lives. You see, yesterday at the um, event, we were supposed to be running the costume contest. So this week, I went and I got all these beautiful trophies made. <laughs> right? And I really wanted to make these special, so I made sure that I dated them. <laughs> Costume contest 2019, first place, zero to four years old. So as soon as the event was canceled, I realized that I was stuck with a dozen meaningless trophies. You could reply. Yeah, possibly. I tried to pick it off, but it wasn't working. We could maybe do a little bit of duct tape or something. <laughs> But don't ruin my illustration. <laughs> yeah. Because this is the illustration, right? This is a meaningless trophy. And so often in our life, we spend far too much time, far too much energy pursuing meaningless trophies, right? Think of some of the meaningless trophies that you spend so much time pursuing. Maybe it's uh, the right kind of car. Maybe it's a certain threshold on your finances. Maybe it's your spouse. Uh, I think maybe one day Tracy wanted a trophy husband, and that just <laughs> kind of proved empty to her as well. <laughs> but you see that so often, right? We spend our life and our time and our resources and our stuff working towards meaningless trophies. Things that will uh, maybe sparkle for a little bit and shine for a little bit. Maybe they'll hold a, a little bit of a memory for us. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, they don't matter. What I want to talk about today and over the next few weeks is the kind of trophy that we need to all be looking for. And I want to ask the question, what does it look like to receive those kind of trophies that will last forever? Those kind of trophies that matter to God. Those kind of trophies that impress God. So I want to talk over the next few weeks about some people, some men and some women who received trophies from God. 
And, and in fact, their trophies were so significant that they are listed in what we call the Bible's Hall of Fame. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read about 20, 25 different characters who are listed and inducted into God's hall of fame because they gave themselves for things that mattered. Now, all of them have got things in common. All of them did things that pleased God. All of them had vision and confidence. And they had a hunger for God and they had a, a resolve but each of them had a unique, special trait that God looked at and said, that is impressive. That's the kind of thing that I'm looking for in men and women. It's these kind of things that God looks at us, and one day when the trophies are handed out, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to talk over to a few next few weeks about what it means to work towards a trophy that will last. Not the meaningless trophies that we so often accumulate. Hebrews 11 is where this list, this hall of fame is found. And the author of Hebrews introduces the hall of fame by saying, these people got here because of their faith. And then he wraps up that teaching about the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 12 by telling us why these people are listed. It's so that they can inspire us. So that what they did and how they lived and the trophies they earned can be imitated and followed and copied in and through us. So I want to look today, as Mike said, at... Noah. He's not the first uh, inductee into the Hall of Fame, but he's one that we've heard about a lot and we're familiar with his story. His story, as we're going to look at it, is found in Genesis chapter 6 to about Genesis chapter 9. There's lots of discussion about Noah and uh, all the details of his story. I don't want to get caught up in the, the details, but I want to look at the, the principle, the, the, the trophy that, that he earned that meant something. And I believe that Noah received his trophy because he tried to live righteously before God. When he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, what is listed is his righteousness before God. That he did the right thing at the right time in the right way. Noah was the son of a man called Lamech. We don't know much about Lamech. He's found in Genesis chapter 4. In fact, all we know is that he was a man who initiated revenge. That he had a, an anger problem. 
So it's quite possible that Noah looked at his dad, Lamech, and saw the destruction from his unrighteousness and said, I can't live like that. That's not pleasing or helpful or right. I need to figure out how to live righteously. So Genesis 6, chapter 9, is Noah's story who reminds us that if we want to make our life count and we want to receive meaningful trophies, then we must spend more time considering the issue of righteousness. These are the family records of Noah. Right at the beginning, it says Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among his contemporaries. You know, if you're living in the right way at the right time for the right reasons, making the right decisions, then you kind of become blameless, right? Righteousness is this, this whole package of, of doing right. Now, now, part of our problem often is that we will do one piece right, but there are other parts of the process that we don't do right. But we concentrate on what we do do right, and we claim ourselves as righteous. Does that make sense? And then if another person does something right uh, over here but doesn't do everything right, we call them unrighteousness because we focus on their faults, not what they did right. Does that make sense? That, that's a lot of why our country is so divisive right now. There are right actions and right thoughts on both sides of our political aisles. But they're not always aligned. And often the right things are not done in a righteous way. Does that make sense? Righteousness is this, this holistic word. And when you get all the aspects of righteousness together, then you become blameless. In his society... In his culture, in his city, this caused Noah to, stood, to stand out. Where does his righteousness come from? It says in verse 9, the last part, that it came because he walked with God. That, that's where our righteousness comes from. Scripture is very clear, and we'll come back to this later on, that on our own, in our own strength, we don't have enough rightness to be right. And in fact, if we try to be right without walking with God and receiving His righteousness, the things that total our lives become meaningless trophies. He was right because He walked with God. That phrase is... Um, is a very unusual phrase in the, the Hebrew. It, it talks about how every moment his life was consumed with thoughts of God. There was a monk, uh, I think in the 1300s, about 700 years ago, even before uh, Mike's Wesleyan Rolls, who, who I call Brother, Brother Lawrence, who practiced the presence of God. And he talked about how he would turn all things, even the most menial things, washing dishes, into acts of righteousness because he did them with God and he did them for God. Noah was that guy in his generation. 
But as he was this shining example of everything that was right, he was living in a world the scripture defines as corrupt. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. I just want to point out that it says that corruption is de de defined by God's understanding, right? Because we have this problem in our society, in our world, that if we see something that's not right, we tend to change the boundaries to say it is right, right? If, if there's some behavior in my life that is out of order, rather than say, hey, I'm wrong, I need to change, right? I start to play gymnastics with the truth, right? But, but there, is a, there is a righteousness in God's sight. There is a corruption in God's sight. We're reminded that, that God sets the standard for what's right and what's wrong, not us. The earth was filled with wickedness. 12, God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Paul, a number of years later, hundreds of years later, says it this way. He says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have, have contributed to the unrighteousness in our world. Then God said to Noah, 13, I've decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. The first thing we need to understand about Noah, if we are going to follow his example and give our life for meaningful trophies and meaningful causes, is to understand that Noah was a man who lived with righteousness in an unrighteous world. He was the right guy in a wrong world. Before we move on, let us understand that the same must be true of us. It is very clear to us as we read the news, as we enter into conversation, as we look around, that there is a lot in this world that is wrong. Our job is not to throw our hands up and say, oh, well... Our job is not to slowly start to, to become that which is wrong and unrighteous. Our role as those who have taken on Christ's righteousness is to live the right way in a wrong world. And it looks upside down to the world, and the world won't understand it and doesn't get it, but we need to do it anyway, right? Because God sets the standard, not us. Noah lived righteously because he walked with God in an unrighteous world. Was it easy? No. Did people understand him? No. Did people mock him and laugh at him and wonder if he'd lost his mind? Absolutely. 
but he was prepared to make the sacrifice because it was that sacrifice towards righteousness that saved his life. The first thing we need to understand about Noah is that he was the right guy in a wrong world. Let me just remind you that whenever you're tempted to go along and align yourself with wrongness, that's not a Christian position. Your job is to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason, even if no one else is doing it. So, so God says, Noah, I've got to let you in on the secret. You're the only one who is doing right in this, this wrong world. So I've decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. You know, we read that now through the lens of, of Jesus, and we say that doesn't sound very much like God. Why would, why would God want to de destroy all those innocent people? Well, the reality was they weren't so innocent. The, the, the word that's used here to describe what God is going to do uh, has this image associated with it, with the scales of justice. Right? And, and God has to be about justice, otherwise he can't be God. And God was looking at the earth and the scales of justice were loaded towards injustice. And when injustice rules... There's only one way the world is going to go, right? A loving God has to intervene with issues of injustice. Noah is righteous because he does the right thing in a, a wrong culture. But because the culture is, is so wrong and so unjust, he gets to be a part of this reset that God needs to make. Let me talk a little bit more about this, this justice thing. I have uh, hanging in my car this little credential. Now this little credential is very uh, special to me because it's from uh, the All-Star Soccer Game, right? When they pulled the best uh, players in the country and put them in a team against some of the best players in the world. Uh, and I was part of the, the staff for that game. So, so I hang this in my car uh, just to remind me that on my bad days, hey, you're not all that bad. You're an all-star, right? <laughs> hey, now, you know, you're, you're, you're a rock star, right? <laughs> and sometimes when I'm, you know the song, hey, now, you're all right. Anyway, we don't even got it, okay, right? And so sometimes when I feel a little bit low and I'm wondering what I'm doing, if there's any kind of purpose or God's doing anything, I look at this and say, hey, this is a pretty cool accomplishment. I'm an all-star, Right? If I, if I really, really start to believe that, honestly, I start believing a lie, right? Uh, and my ego gets better and all this kind of thing. However, on this credential, there is something that is a gift to me. You want to know what it is? They spelt my name wrong. <laughs> Andy Searles, S-E-A-R-L-S. -E they missed out the E, Right? And it's this little um, kind of um, stain on the credential, right? And so every time I see this, I'm kind of held in this balance, right? 
On one hand, I, I am an old star. I am, I am pretty special, right? <laughs> but on the other hand, they've got it wrong. And there's this huge blotch on the, the thing that says so. That, that's the way of the Christian life, right? We are created by God in his image. He looks at us and how he's created us. And he says, you guys are an all-star. You guys matter. You're special. You're loved. But at the same time, we walk in this, this darkness, right? We, we don't live up to this all-star. We live in this, this unrighteous way. And what was happening was that everybody was thinking they were more than they were. They were thinking they were better than they are. And really, they were living very wrongly. And God says, hey, we got we to gotta balance this out. And so Noah becomes part of this reset. God says, hey, I want you to go build an ark. And he's like, what's an ark? Right? Because rain wasn't something that they were very familiar with. He said, go get some, some wood, some gopher wood, which was something they were familiar with, and start building this ark. It took him about 70 years to do. It's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet deep, three stories high. It held 43,000 tons. It covered one and a half football fields. And Noah builds it. Because he's trying to be a righteous man in an unrighteous world. He's doing it because God says, Noah, you've, you've got to do this. We know the story, right? The rains came down and the, the floods came up. And the animals were on there and his family was in there. And it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. But in reality, they were in the boat for at least 150 days. And he sends the, the, the raven out to see if, um, you know, it's safe to let people out. And it wasn't. And he sends a dove out. And the dove comes back with a, a little olive branch, right? Which is a powerful symbol of, of peace. And then that's enough for them to, to get out. And he walks out. And nothing is as he knew it to be. The store in the corner is gone. <laughs> The post office isn't where it used to be. E everything has been, been reset. It, it, it's a new start for, for everybody. A little confession time. I don't want Jonathan to hear this because he'll laugh at me later. But uh, what, one of the ways I unwind, and I, I do it just for a couple of hours every Sunday afternoon, is I jump on my video games and play video games, right? Just kind of tunes everything out for me. Here's the deal. If I'm not doing very well on my video game, because it's got like an autosave feature and I don't want to save the mistake, I'll pull the plug out at the back. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not the best, but then you plug it back in again and you go back to where you were and you have this clean restart, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what God was doing here. He was creating a clean reset. Right? All, all, the, all the failure, all the, the problems, all the brokenness, all the stuff, reset. And so Noah gets out of the boat. Nothing's as it was. Everything's reset. And we read that the first thing that Noah does is he turns this all over to God. 
he holds this little worship service where he sacrifices some of the animals, which I, I think is interesting too, right? These animals, God bless them, have been trapped on this ark for 150 days. <laughs> oh, you could be the one we're going to sacrifice to God as an act of worship, right? But what he's saying is this, this new life, this new restart... I, I want to hand over to you. I, I want to let you build now because I know that I'm not as righteous as I am, but I, I know I'm going to need your strength to do it. And so he turns the whole thing over to God. Noah gets to go in the hall of fame because he was living in the right way in a wrong world. But he gets to go to the hall of fame as well because when the restart button was pressed... He turned his life over to God. You know today, right, that in Jesus we have a restart button. God says, I will never destroy the earth by flood again. And we read that and we kind of breathe a sigh of relief, I suppose, right? But God has sent another ark to protect us. Another way to keep us safe from our sin. Another opportunity to, to reset life. And that reset button is Jesus. Right? It's on the cross where Jesus is there carrying all of our sin and shame and our mistakes and our brokenness. And as he dies, it's like he presses the reset button. And three days later, he... He comes back again and invites us all to this, this restart. Noah is righteous before God because he lived as a right guy in a wrong world. He's righteous because he trusted God for a restart. And once everything could restart it in Genesis chapter 9... We see perhaps the third reason that he was invited into this Hall of Fame. It's because after he'd tried to do what's right, after he'd been a part of this restart and turned the land over to God, God gives him a responsibility. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature of the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that calls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. He's saying, Noah, you've got this restart, but with this restart comes a responsibility. Listen to, to some of the responsibility, but you be free fruitful and multiply. You, you know the only way to be fruitful? That's verse 7. In Scripture, that's a, a loaded term in Scripture, fruitful. The only way to be fruitful in Scripture is if we're being faithful. He's saying, no, I, I'm going to give you a, a responsibility, but you've got to be faithful with it. And when you're faithful with it, things will multiply. So understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants. Promise you that never again will every creature be wiped out by flood water and there will never again be a, a flood to destroy the earth. 
Of course, you know the rest of the story, right? God says, uh, I- I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to give you a sign, right? I- I'm going to give you a rainbow. And the rainbow is seen by God to remind him of our, his promise, and it's seen by us to remind us of God's promise, right? Noah was righteous before God. He lived the right way in a wrong society. When God gave him and the world a reset, he turned it over to God and said, Hey, I want you to lead, you to build, you to guide. Then as that that reset began and the world started to, to rise again, Noah did so with a responsibility that came from God because he had been righteous before God. We spend our time, too much of our time, trying to earn and attain meaningless trophies. But if we want to make a difference, if we want to win a real prize, a a prize that is pleasing to God, we must figure out what righteousness looks like in our lives. We must live it in a corrupt world. We must turn our lives over to, to Jesus and let him build. We must take responsibility for this world. In order to know God, we must become righteous. But there's only one way that we can become righteous. And that's by receiving the imputed righteousness of God. One final thought on these trophies. You know how you get one of these? You'd have to earn one, right? You'd have to spend a lot of time making a costume. Uh, You'd have to spend a lot of money buying a costume. You'd have to spend a lot of time trying to beat uh, tons of other people to be the best. That's often how it works if you want to get meaningless trophies, right? You got to try and earn it. You got to try and buy it. You got to invest a lot in it. But this trophy that will last, this trophy that is righteous, Ephesians said, is not something that we, Paul said to the Ephesians, is not something that we have to earn or buy. It's something that is given to us, it is imputed. To us from God. Don't spend your life chasing after meaningless trophies. Spend your life pursuing the righteousness of God and living in that righteousness that He gives us because of what He did on the cross. Noah was welcomed into that hall of fame. And the reason he was there 
was because he sought to be righteous before God. 